podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Manchester City, it's over to you. Hello and welcome to episode 41. Yes, if you're marking your scorecards now, it's 40 plus 1 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, I'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, I'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught my eye and they'll be getting my attention in the next hour. It's just me running the channels this week for the simple reason it's Bank Holiday Monday afternoon. And while everyone else is lapping up the sun, I'm the only one crazy enough to be stuck inside on such a balmy afternoon. However, needs must and those needs are bring another addition to you on the Real Football Cast. So, I best do some social media bits first, otherwise I'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing, one which is free to enter. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account, especially as there's a new prize pool which guarantees a winner £1,000, something you won't want to miss out on. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's look ahead, actually. Something I don't usually do, but as it's earlier in the week, it gives me enough time to preview this upcoming round of midweek action in the Premier League and what a round of action it is set to be. Two games on Tuesday, two games on Wednesday. So where should we go first? Let's go to the new Tottenham Stadium. I think that's its official name. I should know. I'm a Tottenham fan. But yeah, you know, their new home, let's call it. Tottenham versus Brighton. Now, it's fair to say that the recent Champions League tie between Man City and Tottenham will undoubtedly go down as an all-time classic. And although that was played at breakneck speed, it was always going to be a big ask for the two sides to then do it all over again three days later, which is what, last Saturday. That second choke that the had was one that saw Mauricio Pochettino's men go behind to an early Phil Foden header. And although Spurs had chances of their own, they simply could not get the better of Edison in the Man City goal. That defeat would have asked questions as to whether Tottenham could get into the top four this season. While, you know, it was far from the perfect outcome, the North Londoners were certainly being boosted by the fact that Arsenal and Man United lost a day later. So, you know, it was almost a free hit in a sense when you're going to the Etihad because you're sort of looking at the last five games that Tottenham have in their season. They need to win four out of those at the start of the weekend. They lose to City. It doesn't change all that much. It makes things even tighter. You know, you look at the table, you're thinking, how tight can this get? That's how tight. But now that Arsenal and Manchester United have also lost, it just makes it a little bit looser. You know, there's a little bit of give. That's not to say the Tottenham can start dropping points at will. They can't. They simply need to keep winning. But the fact that Arsenal and United didn't get anything on Sunday just sort of edges it, the pendulum back in Tottenham's direction. So, this Tuesday sees Spurs play host to Brighton, as I've just said, and with the Seagulls fighting for their lives at the bottom end of the table, it's not necessarily going to be the easiest task for the Champions League semi-finalists. You know, when teams are fighting for survival, they need every point, they're scratching, um, they're not going to roll over, put it that way, Brighton, um, and although they're not getting goals, um, they might not be the toughest nut to crack. That all depends on whether Spurs are firing all cylinders, you have to look at... Um, the win against Huddersfield is an example of that, uh, which they certainly were. You know, no Kane, no Son, uh, no problem. You know, 4-0. So if they can do something similar, and you probably would like to think with a 
as full strength as it can be with Tottenham. I know they've got injuries and you never quite know what their first eleven in terms of full strength is at the moment. But you'd like to think their strongest possible side would feature against Brighton. Um, then it would make life easier. Like I say, Brighton have struggled for goals as of late. I believe it's no goals in the last five league matches going into this one. That said though, um, they'll at least be boosted by the fact that they were resilient in their goals draw away to Wolves on Saturday. Um, you know, on another day, Wolves would have probably got the goal that they deserved. They certainly deserved a win, but you know, it just didn't didn't go their way. They didn't get the rub of the green. So Brighton will look at that as a huge point. One that also, by the time the weekend finishes, or the you know has finished on that sort of um, the include the Monday game, Chelsea Burnley. Let's say by the time Sunday finished, Cardiff obviously they lost. It just extends that gap a little bit more. And the fact that Brighton have got this game in hand, which they're using on Tuesday. Just again, tips a pendulum back in their direction. Now, you know, hopefully from a Tottenham point, they they don't actually make use of this game in hand. That's the uh, the ideal for me. But obviously, Brighton fans will think something different. Um, so Tottenham know that there's, like I say, there's no margin for error in terms of a top four finish. And the perfect way to bounce back um, from their defeat on Saturday is by picking up another win at their new home. So you can get odds of about. About 5-1, to one, give or take, for them to win two goals to nil. I think it's about right. I think that's about par. Um, I, like I said, I don't see Brighton scoring goals at, at the moment. Well, they're just not, are they? No goal in five. So Tottenham should have enough to get over the line. They should keep a clean sheet. I think they can keep a clean sheet first. Then it's just a case of finding that one or maybe two goals to, uh, to get them over the line. That's all that really matters. It's not about... A goal flurry, it's about just doing enough. It's also about just doing more than what your rivals do. So if you're losing, then if your rivals lose, it doesn't really matter. If you're getting a draw and they lose, then at least you're at a point up. So it's not necessarily about winning every game. It's just doing more than what the teams around you are doing. So, um, you know, there's going to be so many permutations in these last few weeks. I've seen someone doing the maths that Tottenham could be a top four secured by Saturday. But there's a lot of permutations. You know, you need... Tottenham to win twice, you need Arsenal to pick up a point out of six, Man United to win against Chelsea and Chelsea to lose, and it's just, there's so many sort of combinations that I don't think we get too far ahead of ourselves, so I think it's just all about taking a week at a time, not just even from a Tottenham point of view but from every sort of race, a race that involves the title race, the top four race and also the race for seventh place which is turning out to be very interesting and one that includes Watford who plays Southampton on Tuesday night so like I say, the battle to end up seventh is garnering a large amount of attention as of late. And going into these midweek fixtures, it's Watford who are arguably in the box seat. Um, although the Hornets currently find themselves eighth at the time of um, writing and going into the Tuesday's match, they do have their all-important wild card of the game in hand. And that's one they're going to use against Southampton on Tuesday. If they win, they will then leapfrog inform Everton, who are currently in seventh. Um, so that said, it mustn't be forgotten that Watford are also in next month's FA Cup final. And this presents another potential route into next season's Europa League, leaving manager Harry Grazia with an interesting dilemma. Does he aim to finish 7th and use something, you know, use that as an insurance policy against a potential cup defeat? Or does he think, right, you know, I've got four league games to go. Um, do I put all my eggs in a Wembley-shaped basket? It, oh, that's a tough one because obviously City, that one game, is arguably the toughest. So you think to yourself, you've probably got more chance finishing 7th with four games to go and getting the points from those four, then you have gunning for glory at Wembley. You know, it's a risky strategy. You shouldn't necessarily put one across the other, but I think at the moment they're still well suited to sort of do their absolute best in the league. And then, like I say, if they do finish seventh, then it doesn't really matter in terms of European hopes um, if they win the cup or not. Obviously, they, of course, they want to win the cup. They want to uh, 
win their first final appearance in 35 years. You know, they lost in 1984. I'm sure they'd like to go one better, but of course, you know, it's going to be a real tough nut to crack come May the 18th. Um, if Javi Gracia does decide to put all his eggs in an FA Cup shaped basket, then Southampton will certainly stand to benefit. The Saints currently find themselves five points clear of the relegation zone, and they know that if they can pick up a win at Vicarage Road on Tuesday, then they'll all but secure their top flight status for another season. Something that will sort of, I guess, justify the appointment of Ralph Harsenhutl. There was a new manager bounce, it sort of then tailed off, and then you sort of saw Southampton, I guess, sort of reverting to type or finding their natural level. They've not been great, well, far from it, as their league position would attest to, but, you know, there's been shoots of life. Um, but that would have been somewhat quelled um, when they lost to Newcastle on Saturday. Uh, one that saw them slip to a, a few under feet. I thought the, the tactics were all wrong from Ralph there. Um, whether James Ward-Prowse should have been sent off is up for debate. Probably not because um, although he did sort of poleaxe the uh, Newcastle player, I can't remember who it was for life. I think it was Almiron. Apologies if it's not, but you know the one I mean. He sort of literally just went bang. But the fact it was in Newcastle's half doesn't necessarily lend itself to a goal scored opportunity. So um, the letter of the law points at a yellow, so that's probably correct. But like I say, if Southampton are to um, get something against Watford, they're going to have to play much better than they did on Saturday. Um, that, like I say, was a 3 under defeat, so that would account to over three and a half goals. Um, if that is the case, then you can get something in the region of about 11-5 to five for that happening. So that could be a good tip. Um, I don't, you know, a 3-1 win for Watford, perhaps maybe a 2 all draw. There could be goals. Um, Watford, they score as many as they can see. They've got zero goal difference, which is interesting. Um, but I think Watford should nick this one, Dean or no Deeney. Um, it's not a new game show I've just invented. That'd be a really weird one. You know, 22 boxes, and you've got to find which one Troy Deeney's in. Actually, write that down. That's not a bad thought. Um, but yeah, I think Watford will edge that, and I think over 3.5 goals could be worth your consideration. So that's the two Tuesday matches. What about the two? Wednesday matches, and where first? Let's go to Molyneux. So, another of the teams in the race for seventh place is Wolves, and although they've just won two of their last six league outings, I think actually it's two of the last seven, they'll be confident that they can still get European football. I know they start the weekend, sorry, the midweek in 10th, um, so still got it to do, but they've got a game in hand as well, so this is going to be very important on Wednesday. They play host to an Arsenal side whose hopes of finishing the top four and in turn returning to the Champions League after, what, a two-season exodus at the moment? Could be three. Um, that took an almighty dent after their loss to Palace on Sunday. So that defeat means the Gunners have passed up the opportunity to leapfrog Tottenham into third. And had they have done, you know, had they won that game at the Emirates, they would have put themselves firmly in the driving seat as this titanic struggle goes. So they would have been third and a game in hand over the likes of Chelsea. You know, win against Wolves, you really... You're touching out, you know, you're nearly there. But uh, what is perhaps more surprising is the fact they lost to Palace at home, a ground that's truly been a fortress as of late. And Unai Emery knows his players are going to have to offer a lot more on the road come Wednesday night, which, again, when you look at their performance against Everton, um, not this weekend, the weekend before, wasn't great either. So a lot of people sort of looking at Arsenal thinking, um, six games to go, a real shout of being in the top four, but four away games. And with their away form being rather indifferent, not form which is befitting a club in the top six, let alone the top four, that does sort of ask questions. And if you're losing at home to Palace, then Wolves will be thinking, oh, hello, we could be in here. And like I say, Wolves need a win just as much. I know they've both got European aspirations, albeit for different tournaments, but that's not to say that Wolves are going to sort of um, roll over and let their bellies be tickled. They are going to be gunning for glory anyway, pun intended. So, um, 
like I say, Arsenal in different in away matches. Wolves love nothing more than actually testing the big six on their own turf. They've made life difficult for City. Um, they beat Chelsea. They lost to Tottenham, although they did come back from 3-0 down to make it 3-2. That was quite an early ending. Um, I think they've still got Wolves. Sorry, they are Wolves. They've got Liverpool to play. That could be interesting as well. Um, so this game is in the balance. I think uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's men, if you look at sort of the double chance odds of them winning or drawing, you can get about three to four in uh, most bookies. So that could be where the smart money goes, just sort of a little bit of hedging your bet, so to speak. But I think Wolves can get something out of that. And if you're confident as me and you want to put your money on it, then, like I say, about three to four and a double chance might be where the smart money goes in midweek. Now then, Wednesday at Old Trafford. It's not just the biggest game of that night. It's not the biggest game of the midweek. It is really the biggest game of the season. You know, it's a Manchester derby anyway, but with the ramifications that come with this one, oh boy, this is this really is it. So, um, this ultimately is going to have a huge bearing on when and where the Premier League title goes this season. Um May 12th will be the final day of the season. Who will win the title? I don't know just yet. I'll have a better idea come 10 o'clock Wednesday night because this is the game in hand that Manchester City have been looking forward to playing in. And they know that if they win, they'll once again move to the top of the table with just three games remaining. From that point onwards, it's then a case of all things equal. Because at the moment, every week, it's been a case of City asking a question to Liverpool, Liverpool answering it. And there's always that game difference. And you can't really sort of work out Who's the favourites? Because you've got, like I've said before, points on the board versus game in hand. Now, points on the board is great, but it only gets you so far. Because if the team that has a game in hand keeps winning like City do, eventually Liverpool will run out of matches and City will eventually go to the top. This is that scenario come Wednesday, if they can do it. You know, um, if City are to do it, then they're going to have to beat United, who... Um, of course, we'll be looking for a win to not only boost their top four hopes, but to also dent City's hopes of the title. They're in a real struggle because they do they aid City or do they aid Liverpool? You know, it's, a, it's an awful choice, really. But I don't think they're in a position to make that choice because they've been not great. If you've been, you know, if you're being kind, that's what you say. If you're being critical, they were absolute dog dirt on Sunday. Um, a miserable showing at Goodison Park. And manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we have to hope that 4-0 defeat to Everton uh, then goes on to provide something of a wake-up call because they're going to have to find something a lot better than what they served up on Merseyside on Sunday because they were awful. I mean, the fact that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to apologise to the fans almost sort of says it all, really. Surely that's the players who should be doing that. They were just lacklustre, weak. Um, you look at the fact that that was, without question, United's worst performance of the season... Now, that's with a change of manager. You know, this is with Oli at the wheel, so to speak. If Oli's at the wheel, Oli might need an MOT because that I don't, I don't think you can blame the manager. But surely now you're sort of looking at the players because if the players are turning in muck against the likes of West Ham away, Brighton away, and then they also do the same against Everton, then surely they've sort of reverted to type. This incredible run has massively papered over the cracks. Now, they still could get top four, and even that in itself would paper over the cracks. But when you look at the fact that Gary Neville, after that defeat, is then calling out, you know, players need to be sold. It's time for upheaval. You know, things have to change. 
that's all very well, but if you're going to be that bold and sort of start to throw players under the bus, you need you need to name names because otherwise you're part of the the problem, not the solution. You know, if you want to be constructive and say, you know, that player's no good, that player's no good, you know, they need to be moved on, then say it. You know, don't let those players get off the the hook. Don't feel that because of your club loyalty you can't upset the apple cart. You know, I think if you want to be that outraged, you want to make you want to make sort of a statement, you want to look for a soundbite, then you can't just give it half arse. You've got to really sort of go for it and say, you know, Sanchez has got to go. Lukaku should be sold. Marshall, you know what I mean? I'm just picking names out the top of my head. You know, I'm not necessarily saying they should go. But, you know, if Neville wants to be this critical, then he needs to back it up. And it's all about, oh, you know, well, I'll know next week, then I'll name names. Well, you know, if City don't beat United and United go and win against City and Chelsea, then it all will be, there probably won't be any names named. And Neville will be, oh, actually, things aren't too bad. So maybe it's reactionary. I don't know. But I think, like I say, United are going to have to play a hell of a lot better. But at the same time, City look unstoppable at the moment in their bid to win the title. And they know simply they cannot fault one of these final hurdles. They've got four hurdles left to clear. They clear Wednesday's challenge. Um, I think a win with over 2.5 total goals looks likely. Uh, you can probably get just a shade under evens for that to happen. A, a quick way to just about double your money, give or take, um, is probably where you know you should be looking to go this Wednesday, but uh, it really is. It's hold on to your hats, isn't it? Because if you look back at um, what happened on Sunday, um, City, like I say, keep asking the questions. Liverpool, finding the perfect answers. They weren't perfect against Cardiff, that must be said. However, um, quality shines through in the end. First half, I think the only real flashpoint was Roberto Firmino um, sort of lashing over the bar. Maybe that's just nerves. Uh, tension, you know, you sort of you're looking for that one goal to steady the ship. It didn't come in the first half, and Cardiff would have grown into that game, thinking, "Well, actually, you know, they make a point of being the twelfth man, their fans, and they were vibrant and up for it." And they would have thought, "Oh, you know, we might be able to get something out of this." You never know, and I think Man City fans would have been watching that, thinking, "Cardiff might be able to get something out of this." You never know. Unfortunately, though, that wasn't the case because I think it was about I don't know ten minutes after the restart. Uh, Wijnaldum with quite a rocket of a, uh, a finish actually it looked like the corner was badly taken but it was actually cleverly taken because it was lashed in uh, by the Dutch international 1-0 you could feel the palpable sense of relief in the away end of the Cardiff Stadium because from there it was really a case of sort of um, you know can Liverpool just sort of see this one out that said they were slightly lucky when um, Alisson sort of flapped at a corner Steve Morrison tried to head it, but headed it with his back. And you're thinking, well, how on earth have you done that? I mean, that was if there was ever a gift-wrapped sort of opportunity to really put a cat amongst the pigeons, Cardiff did not take it. Not just, you know, to make the title race more interesting, but also to uh, to keep their own hopes of survival alive. Hopes that sort of diminished with that one. Because like I say, with Cardiff having a game in hand and less points, they're really up against it. And now they probably need to win... Well, they do really need to win two of their last three. They go to Fulham on Saturday which is not, you know, that one's winnable, but Fulham now seems to be playing their best football at completely the wrong time of the season. So I don't think that Fulham are, um, you know, going to be ready to roll over. I think two wins out of two, uh, although very small in isolation, suggests that, you know, they're still sort of fighting. I think Scott Park has obviously got a job to do. Not only that, he wants the job for next season. So I think, you know, Fulham are going to sort of be wanting to just make an honest game of that. And I don't think that's 
are given for Cardiff. And if they can't win that one, then you really are looking down the barrel of a gun and they'll have to win the last two um, games of the season. But by then, it, that defeat against uh, Fulham, it could already be done if Brighton beat Newcastle and if, they, of course, they get something against Tottenham. So yeah, there's a, still a lot of combinations to go there. Um, so we'll have to see how that pans out. But in terms of Cardiff, yeah, not um, not a great performance in the second half. You know, the sort of once the goal they conceded went against them, they had that chance for Morrison. You thought that, in a nutshell, was the chance. They blew it, and then Liverpool got that late penalty award. Mo Salah, now, I sort of made a joke of it on Twitter, but I was quite sort of clear in the sense I didn't actually say it wasn't a penalty, because I don't think it wasn't a penalty. I think the fact that Morrison had his arms round Salah a bit too much, and you sort of think, you know, if you give someone an opportunity such as that, then ultimately a player is going to go to ground. You know, I think that's just the nature of um, an attacker. Um, you know, it's just inherent now, isn't it? You know, put put your arms around me. I'm gonna I'm gonna eventually hit the deck. I think the thing that made it so comical is the fact that sort of Salah went down in about four stages. Um, now, I guess in that situation, he has got every right to go to ground. I know myself and Carl spoke last week about his dive against Chelsea and how that wasn't even brought up and you think well hang on like surely in a game which is nil-nil at that point and there's no real flashpoint surely that should be something um, for consideration in terms of a talking point no it turns out it's not um, so so yeah you know Salah is, seems to be the focus of many at the moment now, is he a diver you, do you know what you probably have to say he is but you know like I've said before the deterrent doesn't stop him and certainly if you're going to sort of wrap your um, arms around his body like that then it is a penalty and I think that penalty was um, duly duly awarded and duly correctly awarded and James Milner slots it home 2-0 bang game over and then Liverpool go top of the league once more it's going to be an absolute uh, bomb burner isn't it because if you look at the streaks in terms of wins um, Man City have won their last 10 Liverpool have won their last 6 Liverpool are unbeaten in their last 14 Man City are unbeaten in their last 10 so City have just won all their 10, so um the world's longest website address. Um, Liverpool, yeah, some draws in the mix of those wins, but yeah, like the last six, they've not looked back. So um, who's in the ascendancy? Well, they're both in the ascendancy. Like, you literally can't call it. Could both teams go on and win all their games towards the end of the season? Yes, quite simply. Um, that would put City on 98, Liverpool on 97. Just for a moment think how incredible this would be Liverpool 97 points finishing second in a Premier League uh, title race after losing one game all season that would be absolutely absurd wouldn't it absolute bonkers but it could happen you know strange things happen in football this could be one of if not the strangest I mean Liverpool have got Huddersfield on um, Saturday Liverpool haven't lost at home in the last 38 home matches which is the equivalent of two full home campaigns in the Premier League you know back to back um, I can't even really remember their last home defeat if the statos are out there um, give me a nudge but yeah I mean that is an insane run um, like I say strangers happen in football could the strangest twist of the title race happen on Saturday oh sorry it's not Saturday is it? it's Friday it's Friday night Friday night football um, yeah Huddersfield that could be absolute bonkers if Huddersfield get a point there and really put the cat amongst the pigeons, then then wow. Um, I mean, I don't think that will happen. The neutral romantic who loves the title race would like to see that happen. I think a lot of non-Liverpool fans would love to see that happen because they don't really want Liverpool 
to win the title race. Me, I'm not really overly asked. I'm more worried about where Tottenham finish and a small matter of a uh, Champions League semi-final. And breathe. Right, okay. So, um, myself, Cole, and my other guest, James, spoke about this on the East Birds podcast last week. If you haven't heard that, um, I, I know it's sort of bank holiday, so the ship has probably sailed and there's also another Man City game that's also happened. But I can't not speak about Wednesday night just an absolute roller coaster of emotions. Is it the best game of football that I've ever seen? I don't know. It's a very tough one to answer because there was so much emotion attached to that game that I don't think I could really enjoy it to the maximum ability that I could have. You know, if I was a neutral, you'd be just shaking your head going, that is stupendous. Being actually in the thick of that was horrible. Absolutely gut wrenching. You know, just sort of. Being 4-2 down and you're sort of you're looking down the barrel of a gun thinking, right, well, we've blown this. Then Fernando Lorenzo scores with his hip, goes to VAR, goal's given. You think, you know, this is tense, but Spurs growing into the game, you think, you know, you allow yourself to believe. And sometimes it's that belief which um, is your undoing. And then, as always with Tottenham, you think it's happened again. You know, Spursy, bottling, all those kind of terms you think, I'm going to have to give social media a wide berth for the next two weeks. You know, I don't want to be any part of this. Christian Eriksen, what the hell are you doing? You know, people are at laptops or whatever preparing really, really angry tweets. They're just about to hit enter and then, wait a minute, Lady Luck, well, we've missed her and we really needed her and boy, did we get her because, you know, you're sort of thinking, you're walking out the room, you're muttering, F this, F that in Spurs. You walk in the room it's a far decision and it's gone your way. Sergio Aguero's goal has been given offside. And my words, like that in a nutshell is an absolute rollercoaster of emotion. You talk about, you know, you know, just even that term itself is a bit of a cliche, but it was anguish, passion, despair, um, unbridled joy. You've got Spurs players slumped to the floor. You've got managers stripping, um, you know, just taking their clothes off. I don't think they, you know, obviously they didn't go full like, bare-chested, like two managerial gladiators duking out in the technical area. It wasn't quite ancient Rome, but it felt like that, like absolute gladiators. And then, you know, the game's still not finished. You've got players just booing it out that, you know, absolutely knackered, but it's multi-ball and City are turning the ball over again. It's just like an absolute blur. And I can't, you know, part of me wants to watch it back, part of me doesn't. I don't think I've got a strong enough heart to do so. It was, of course, a defeat. I think people actually forget that. We lost, but we're through to the Champions League semi-finals. Um, by hook or by crook, I don't know how, but you know we didn't. I don't think it's luck. I think it was well. Certainly, there was decisions that obviously went our way, but I don't think that's luck. That's just you're in the fate of someone else's hands, aren't you? Really, you know, someone, a referee or a fourth referee, you know, the the assistant. They're sort of saying it's their decision, and it sort of went our way. There will be times when VAR goes against Tottenham, and I'll bemoan it. But as of right now, VAR's a wonderful invention. But, you know, I've always quite liked VAR. Since the World Cup, I've always sort of backed it. I certainly back it now after that display. Um, but, yeah, in all seriousness, Tottenham in a Champions League semi-final. And here we're thinking, well, why not? Um, I think with Tottenham being paired with Ajax, it's a similar sort of setup with England versus Croatia that you're looking at it and you're thinking, this is more than winnable, but it does Ajax a huge disservice. You know, Croatia got to a World Cup semi-final... And then they got to a World Cup final, don't forget. Um, Ajax, 
of course, they've knocked out Real Madrid and Juventus on their way to to getting here. They'll be looking at Tottenham thinking, we can easily do this, especially with Sun not available for the first leg. That's a huge um, swing for Ajax there. Um, it's going to be a hugely entertaining pair of matches, but I don't know if this is Tottenham's sort of last hurrah. Of course, if they get to the final, anything's possible. But even now, anything's possible. They've just got to go for it, you know. And I think with only four league games to go, that's what's the maximum there. Seven games of the season to go. They've got the squad to do it. I don't think it's necessarily a case of having to switch around sort of personnel. I think they should be going as strong as they possibly can. I know they sort of rung the changes on um, Saturday against City. But personally, I think that made a lot of sense because when you've got, you know, five league games to go at that point, you're looking at the City game and you're thinking, this is arguably the game where we're not going to get anything. So why go absolute full strength? You know, this, like I say, is the free hit. If we can just sort of skirt around this one and then be absolute full pelt for the remaining four, it's a slightly risky strategy. Um, but, you know, you would rather keep your players fresh for the games that are really winnable than give blood and thunder for the second time in three days at City and then you, you're knackered for Brighton and then that could have a huge effect. So I think the one defeat that we were allowed um, has now been used up. We're literally... Last chance saloon is probably a little bit grandiose, but you know there really is no margin for error anymore. I've said that many times, but as long as it's still in our hands, that's the main thing. Third or fourth, again, now not important. The fact that the sort of... Um, Axis of evil that could have taken a fourth place finish and not been good enough for the Champions League. That's been removed, so that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people are going, oh, well, we need to finish above Arsenal. To me, it doesn't really matter too much. Third or fourth pays the same prize now. It's not a case of third and then a playoff in fourth. I just think, worry about what we do. If you finish fourth, then so be it. Then it's fine. You know, it might be a fourth place finish. You might get into the Champions League final. You might win the Champions League. So, there's still going to be a lot to happen in the next, what, Five weeks if we include the Champions League final. Let's not get that far. I mean, but even in the next three weeks of this Premier League season, there's still going to be a multitude of twists and turns. One thing to highlight, though, with Tottenham, the fact they've lost 11 league games out of 34. So that's just under a third, which is just under 33% for you Mass fans. Um, that says a lot about... Well, I don't know what it says, really. I think it says a lot the fact that they've only drawn one. Um, that's absorbed that massively. You know, if it was one fifteen uh, drawn, I don't know, eight lost eleven, that would be well, you'd be just where would you be six, but almost in you know six and almost looking over your shoulder for seventh, which would be no good at all. So um, yeah, far too many defeats, but we sort of got away with that. But it's just been a weird season with Tottenham. I mean, in any other league season, you couldn't lose eleven and be third. But like I say. It could be a league season where Liverpool lose one and finish second. It is that bonkers. Football just keeps throwing up crazy um, scenarios. And I don't think we're sort of uh, seeing the craziest yet. I mean, it could be even crazier if Tottenham win the Champions League. Who knows? I'll leave it there. So where else are the talking points of this weekend? Uh, Crystal Palace. They uh, beat Arsenal, like I've mentioned earlier in the show. They, with that win, have secured their Premier League status for another season. A good win, a surprise win. I don't think anyone would have really had... Um, well, don't, let's be honest. I don't think anyone had Crystal Palace to win at the Emirates, certainly, on Sunday. If it was at Selhurst Park, maybe a different story. But um, but yeah, a, a win and a goal for Christian Benteke. He's alive. Um, now, 
him playing again and not Michi Batshuayi does sort of intimate that the other Belgian, Batshuayi, won't be there next season, which is probably not the biggest of surprises. Um, I thought he looked good in his first few weeks at uh, Palace, but I think maybe behind the scenes there's been a sort of acceptance of, look, I'm not going to be here next season, I don't want to play here full-time. And then Hodgson's thinking, right, well, there's no point in me playing you week in, week out, because I need to sort of start blooding the squad for next season. So if you're not going to feature, then then you're not featuring now. That's his decision. In terms of decisions of Roy Hodgson, I raised a question on Twitter yesterday, at Stan Tracy, 1983. I'm going to start doing these sort of daily um, hot topics, just try and keep the momentum going over the summer. Um, also, the return of the gossip column this summer. Whoopee! Yes, that's right. Ten minutes of um, transfer talk every day in Asterix, as much as possible uh, over June and July, just to sort of keep the uh, the wheels rolling and keep all that transfer chat in uh, one central section. But like I say, like I say, daily hot topics. Yesterday, it was uh, Roy Hodgson, and I just was asking the question, do Palace fans think, or does anyone think, that he'll now look at his um, survival job completed and think, OK, that'll do, uh, not just for this season, but for me at Selhurst Park. Do Palace... Um, do they need a change of manager to take the club forward? Has Roy done as much as he can? He hasn't done a bad job, of course, um, but does it need a new set of hands to push things even further? Or are Palace where they need to be and where they sort of should be with the quality of squad they've got? Um, another sort of sub-question to that is, of course, is the grass green on the other side? Perhaps not. You have to look at um, Frank De Boer. When he was in charge of Palace, you could argue that, A, he went too early, but then again, when you look at the actual... Um, points tally, well, it couldn't, it couldn't be any worse. A big fat zero. Um, you could argue, if you were sort of supporting the claim of Frank de Boer, that he tried to change the style of the club, but wasn't backed in the transfer market and the players to allow him to do so. So he's sort of doing it with almost, I don't know, two arms behind his back. Um, so there is that. But like I say, yeah, with Palace, do they want to rock the boat or are they sort of happy just to sort of settle where they are in this mid-table ship. Um, maybe that's the decision that Roy and Steve Parrish will have behind the scenes. I don't think it's going to be sort of made public, but it's something that will be certainly up for consideration. Um, but yeah, I mean, a good win. You can't take that away from them. And where else on Sunday? Yes, Everton. Wow. I mean, where did that come from? I mean, to be fair to Everton, they've beaten, uh, in recent times at home, Chelsea, Arsenal, and now Manchester United. But... Away from home, they lost to Fulham. How infuriating must they be as an Everton fan this season? They're so inconsistent. And also, they lost to Newcastle away from home as well. And that was a, a loss where they were 2-0 up. And they lost 3-2. So, they've out of six um, last matches that they've played, they've won four, lost two. Those two defeats have come away from home. They did actually beat West Ham away from home, which is a good performance. And then... You're sort of thinking, well, actually, yeah, they're getting, they're hitting their stride. That Fulham game was just dog dirt. They're really um, awful. Last, sorry, lost track of my weeks. Not the weekend we just had, the weekend before. A win that, had they picked up, they would have been clear in the race for seventh. At the time of this recording of the podcast, they are in the box seat, but they played a game more than Watford and Wolves. So they'll have a keen eye across midweek to see how they do. But Marco Silva, I don't know. Has he just about got away with this one? Possibly. Um, because his head really did look on the chopping board, didn't it, a month or so ago. But I think the board have given him time, and it, they might just be reaping that reward. Um, of course, 
you've got to then start next season well. Um, but if Everton can somehow finish seventh after what was a quite iffy middle sector of the season, then I guess it has to be considered a job well done. And it might sort of just about vilify uh, Marco Silva as a manager because a lot of people are coming to criticise him. Sometimes he's Emperor's new clothes. You know, he's got this new style. Um, oh, he's, he's wonderful. He's a foreign manager. He's, he's young. Um, you know, and you think, well, yeah, but what's he actually done? Like, got relegated with Hull. Admittedly, they did improve under his stewardship, but at the same time, you look working from a low base and he didn't keep them up, so he didn't do that great a job. Watford um, sort of started okay, um, started well enough to get the attention of Everton. There was an awkward flirting, um, and then he didn't get to go out with Everton, sort of sulked, then got sacked. And then he went to Everton finally. They finally sort of got the uh, relationship together. And you're sort of thinking, okay, well, what can you do? You're finally here now. You've got some money. Away you go. And it wasn't the greatest of starts. They didn't really get out of the blocks all that quickly. Um, but they are fine their feet. You know, you look at their form. I'm sorry, you look at their um, win, draw, loss over this um, point of the season so far. Played 35, won 14, drawn 7, lost 14. So, yeah, in- inconsistent, indifferent, infuriating is uh, how you'd explain Everton to your um, to your neutral or to your outside of the season and uh, yeah so they're not I don't know like it's a real tough one I think Watford will probably still be favourites to finish seventh like I say they'll want that insurance policy but Everton if they can keep picking up wins at home might see them over the line but you know you can't be losing to Fulham already relegated Fulham by that point that is going to be arguably the result that undoes their Europa League hopes. So, um, so yeah, and of course, obviously, seventh place doesn't guarantee you Europa League football. You've got to hope that then City win the cup. So you're not over the line just yet, but you've got the best possible chance should you finish there. Um, so that's Sunday taken care of. What happened on Saturday? Uh, Man City, Tottenham, of course, after the Lord May show somewhat. It was never really going to live up to um, the first offering. Um, Phil Foden... What can you say about him? You know, I think he looks a, a great talent. Um, whether he gets the game time that he needs to really kick on, you would think he probably will um, because he is that highly rated. But um, there is always that danger as a young English talent, especially at City, that they'll just go and buy someone else. Um, but I think it looks promising, but you have to wait and see, don't you? I mean, there's still a lot of football to be played for Phil Foden. I mean, maybe in the next year or so, he does actually have a, a year away. I guess that depends how much Pep really rates him and whether he feels he can do without him for a season. Again, that also depends on transfer policy and the like. So yeah, I mean, not a barn burner. Um, Tottenham did have chances. Uh, Edison was sort of had to work for his three points. Um, but again, like I say, it was a free hit in essence for Tottenham. One they didn't unfortunately take. But um, in the grand scheme of things, not that much of a crisis either. Um, West Ham, they thought they'd just about done enough to get the better of Leicester. They didn't know, unfortunately. Harvey Barnes with the Premier League's 5,000th goal. Was it 5,000? Have I just made that up? I read it somewhere. I, yeah, I think it's 5,000. Or is it 50,000? No, it can't be 50,000. 5,000. Let's say it's 5,000 for the sake of argument. If it's not, just tell me. Um, yeah, Harvey Barnes' late goal um, was enough to just snatch a point for the Foxes. Although, one point for the last six on offer for Brendan Rodgers. And um, it's just edging that sort of Europa League needle away from him. I backed them a couple of weeks back that they would um, finish seventh. 
egg on my face, it looks like. But, you know, that was before they got one point of six. So unfortunately, Leicester, I think I've put the skids on your hopes. Um, but I think, obviously, really with Leicester, it's a case of uh, Brendan Rodgers sort of just working with his squad, getting them up to speed for um, the start of next season. It's the perfect sort of elongated pre-season, really. You know, usually, manager comes in the summer, you've got, I don't know, six, eight weeks to sort of work with a set of players. You've got to then try and sort of buy players as well in that mix and then away you go. With this sort of early start, you can sort of work out who you need already. You get a, an edge over all the other Premier League teams because obviously their pre-season doesn't really start until when the actual season finishes. So um, a smart appointment from Rodgers. It would be smarter if they could get into uh, into Europe, but I don't think that's going to happen. As for West Ham... Um, it's no winning four. It's one point from twelve. Season has sort of tapered off, really. Um, they'll probably be a bit miffed that they can't get a top half finish. That's not outside the realms of possibility, but they've, you know, five points behind Wolves with five matches to sorry, with three matches to go, and Wolves have a game in hand. Um, as do Watford, who are six points clear. You're sort of thinking, well, you can't really see where um, that's going to happen. You know, how they're going to overtake them. Um, also, of course, they're five points behind Leicester, and they've both got 35 games in, in the bank already. So, yeah, it would take quite the sort of um, downturn from Leicester and the upturn from West Ham. You know, you're looking at West Ham having to win probably all three, and Leicester to sort of not winning three for that to happen. So, West Ham will probably have to be the best of the bottom half sides, but even that's not a given because that's bunching up quite nicely. You've got West Ham, Palace, Newcastle, Bournemouth, just two points um, separating them now. Uh, between 11th and 14th, so that's in the mix. They're playing for nothing but prize money, but uh, prize money could be um, a big boost in the transfer market come the summer. So, you know, I don't think, well, actually, Bournemouth, they're going to be um, resting on their laurels, more of them in a minute. But yeah, there's still sort of something to play for, but, you know, like I say, he's just playing for the best of the rest. It's not even the best of the rest, it's the, the best of the bottom half, not quite the accolade you'd really want. So, you know, a solid, if not spectacular season for West Ham, Manuel Pellegrini um, got off that awful start and even people were thinking, well, actually, you know, have West Ham made the right appointment? I think they have. You know, that's been justified now. Um, whether this is West Ham's level, probably this season it is. I don't think they've sort of disgraced themselves. But, um, yeah, too many defeats has been their Achilles heel, like it is with sort of so many teams in and around that area. And they'll just have to sort of just get to the end of the season and go again. Um, where now? So let's go to Bournemouth, as I said. Just when you thought it was safe to bet on Bournemouth. Bloody hell. Um, they have um, lost to Fulham on Saturday. A, another coupon buster. That defeat sends Bournemouth to 14th in the table now. Um, Eddie Howe will be sort of glad that, um, you know, survival's been wrapped up weeks before, or not even weeks before, you know, in the last sort of week or so. But you sort of... On a form basis, blimey, you know, they've been absolute rotten in this um, last sort of quarter of proceedings. Uh, but they've done enough. I've spoken about Bournemouth enough in the past few weeks and how they sort of hit the hit the beach on the deck chairs and all that. So I won't keep going on. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's been an end of season to forget for Bournemouth. But I guess, is it success? Arguably, yes. And um, they'll go again next season and hope they can actually play for all 38 matches. Um, Wolves, like I said earlier, they drew with Brighton. Had they had a bit more of a goal threat, um, it would have been uh, them who picked up all three points. That wasn't the case, though. It just wasn't their day. Brighton were resilient, a much-needed point for them. 
a point that doesn't really help Wolves in the race for seventh. Had they won that game, they would have been seventh going into the midweek game and that game in hand. So perhaps two points dropped. But like I say, with Wolves, they just hit the skid slightly. Two wins in seven. And also that cup semi-final defeat has deflated them a little bit. Um, so um, a bit of a pickup job for Nuno Espirito Santo. But again, you know, Wolves, this is a promoted team we're talking about. You can't be too critical of what they've done. Um, many had them tips as the best of the rest. Um, they might get that, they might not. But even if they don't this season, they'll have the money. They've got the players to sort of kick on with a year's experience under the belt in the top flight and a bit of tinkering in their squad. They could be really feared next season. And you do get the feeling it's not a case of if they're knocking on the top six door and breaking that glass ceiling it's a case of when I wouldn't like to predict the team that falls out of it um, I'd like to I could predict who I'd like to um, Arsenal or Chelsea but you know that's going to make it even more tougher once they finally enter the fold if Everton finally ever get their act together it could be you know realistically eight teams gunning for six European places of which four pay out in the Champions League so I don't you know that could be the either the dream scenario or the nightmare scenario because if you think it's hard for anyone in that Tottenham Arsenal Chelsea United bracket at the moment you add two more teams into the mix it's going to be an absolute nightmare and then you might have elongated spells where you're not even in Europe let alone not in the Champions League but that's the uh, I guess doomsday scenario for some clubs but whether that happens again depends on whether Everton can finally pull their fingers out and be more consistent and whether Wolves can actually really make up that sort of well how many steps a good sort of two or three steps up the ladder to really sort of knock on the Champions League door I think it will happen eventually though I don't know when I don't know what year but it will happen so there's my vague prediction of the week uh, where next Watford no Troy Deeney no problem um, they got the better of Huddersfield a Gerard Delefeu double uh, made sure of that I know they conceded uh, so it wasn't a clean sheet but you know it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things their goal difference is uh, a perfect zero or an imperfect zero, perhaps. Um, but yeah, that win will just um, boost them after defeats at Arsenal. They were unfortunate, actually, not to, to get anything against Arsenal on um, this time last week, last Monday. Had they had Troy Deeney on the pitch for more than, what, 10 minutes, they might have got a draw. You know, 10 versus 11, Arsenal weren't great. Um, and maybe that Arsenal performance on Monday was the sort of catalyst for such a, a poor performance um, at the end of the week. So maybe it was a, a win that sort of papered over cracks. Who knows? But like I say, Arsenal are going to have to improve if they want to get themselves over the line, certainly um, when they go to Wolves on um, Wednesday. But for Watford, yeah, like I say, no Deeney, no problem. Um, they're just going to try and get as many wins under their belts between now and May 12th before the big showpiece FA Cup final on May the 18th. And the final uh, Saturday game up for uh, consideration is Newcastle-Southampton. Iosi Perez with his first ever Premier League hat-trick um, yeah, I mean, he's, it looks like he's playing with the shackles off since um, Almiron's joined um, St. James's Park outfit. I think, you know, Perez was probably trying to do two jobs at once, trying to create and score goals, which is not impossible. If you're, you know, if you're not in the final third, then chances are you're not really going to be getting goals. If you're playing too deep, you know, if you're trying to sort of carry the team on your shoulders and create goals for somebody else, when you're the goal scorer, something's gone a bit wrong. I mean, you could argue Solomon... Rondon sort of chipped him with goals, but it wasn't really enough. And I think Perez, um, now he's got that sort of freedom, Newcastle reaping the benefits, um, certainly showed that on Saturday against an indifferent Southampton, like I said earlier. Whether Ward Prowse should have been sent off, 
I think it was just about the right decision. Had it been in um, Newcastle, sorry, let's have a think. I'm trying to think, work out the pitch here. Had it been in Southampton's half, then um, he would have been off. But you know, just on the right side of the centre line for uh, for Southampton and Ward Prowse, who stays on the pitch. But in the grand scheme of things, it didn't make all that difference as Newcastle were worthy winners. And 13th looks about par for them. If anything, a, a success story. Whether that success story carries into next season um, all depends on Rafa Benitez and whether he stays on. Um, he said on Match of the Day, you know, about you know backing in the transfer market. It's not quite there. Funds aren't um, ready to be released, which is probably not what Newcastle fans want to hear. Um, Mike Ashley does need to put up or shut up at some point. You do get the feeling he'd rather shut up, um, which would be a huge blow for Newcastle. Um, they are a big club for all intents and purposes. You know, they beat um, Leicester um, the weekend before, which is a, a good win, especially away from home. Um, they're a big, you know, they're always going to be a sleeping giant. I think the chance of them being a top six club, unfortunately, that ship has sailed. But why can't they be closer to that sort of um, seventh place battle? You know, when you're looking at the Everton to Wolves seventh to tenth bracket, Newcastle will feel, well, we should be sort of in and around there, than opposed to sort of in that. Mid-table malaise, that's the next step for them to get to. Um, but again, that comes with um, with money being spent. I think Benitez has worked absolute wonders with the squad, but you do not just wonder, but worry that can he work magically again next season? You know, How much can you drip out this um, this group of players that are work... You know, they're, they're workers, but they're not... They're not... What's the nice way to put this? They don't have an abundance of talent, you know, but they're sort of... Their character and their desire is seeing them over the line more often than not as of late. But you do sort of think, you know, this is them working at their maximum this season. How much can they do that next season? You'd probably think without rejuvenating, not a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the uh, review of where we are. Like I say, huge, huge midweek of action. Um, that takes us up to just under about 60 minutes or so. So I'm not going to keep waffling on to fill the hour. Um, around Europe, Juventus have um, won... Serie A to no one's surprise at all. PSG won uh, League A to no one's surprise at all. Barcelona, I think, two wins away from uh, winning La Liga. So, you know, nothing really changes in Europe. And it's just the status quo goes on, really. As to who win the Champions League, Barcelona, they've won it since 2015. Um, you can't really rule them out at all. Um, I'd probably make them tournament favourites. Liverpool, do they want the Champions League or do they want the Premier League? You know, could they finish second in the Premier League and win the Champions League and people consider that actually that's a better season I don't know that's something you'd have to ask Liverpool fans Ajax the sleeping giant but you probably make them slightly more favourites than Tottenham but Tottenham if we're going to be rank outsiders then that's fine with me I'm just happy to be in the in the final four and from there you never know and um, that is going to be it for this week um, enjoy your bank holiday actually it's pretty much finished now so I hope you've had a good bank holiday enjoy the rest of your week um, enjoy your football and it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.